Welcome to this episode of the Insights Podcast, now on the Acadia Broadcasting Network. I'm Don Mills, and with me today is my co-host, David Campbell, who plays the role of guest today, as we speak about a recent study that he did for the New Brunswick Business Council on housing, which is a very topical um, uh, issue today, obviously. So, uh, David, welcome to the podcast, I guess. <laughs> it's good to be here, Don. <laughs> uh, we should note that, uh, and people will recognize this, that uh, Huddle is no longer to be. Um, it was recently closed by their owner, Acadia Broadcasting. And um, we were disappointed about that, obviously. Uh, working with Huddle has been a good experience for you and I. Uh, first with Mark Legere, who was uh, you know, really instrumental in helping us uh, set the tone for the podcast, and then later with Trevor, Trevor Nichols. And so we want to thank those people, both those guys, for working with us. They, they, they have been great. Uh, but, uh, you know, with change comes new opportunity, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the challenge with Huddle has always been like the business model. So, you know, you either do advertising based or you do subscription based or you do a combination of both. And Huddle struggled to find that sweet spot. Um, I'm not sure pe many people wanted to pay for the content, but but they had struggled to get advertising. So I think Acadia is looking at new ways of doing things and trying to broaden the base. And hopefully that's going to be good for this podcast in terms of broadening the base of viewers. But uh, I did enjoy uh, our collaboration with Huddle, and I'm looking forward to the ongoing relationship with Acadia. Yeah, and, and a lot of people may not be familiar with Acadia Broadcasting, but, it, you know, it's got, uh, it's got a lot of stations in the regions. I think it's got 10 radio stations in New Brunswick and a, another 10 in, New, in Nova Scotia. So it covers a wide uh, piece of uh, the, the, the market that we're trying to serve. And uh, so we're looking forward to that collaboration and finding new ways of reaching uh, audiences. And, and I think we're going to have some new ideas uh, come out that uh, people will uh, will enjoy. So, um, you know, I want to encourage our listeners to uh, keep following us on the Acadia Broadcasting Network. But that's not what we're here today to talk about, David. We're here to talk about housing. Uh, we had a very interesting conversation with Duncan Williams, the CEO of the Nova Scotia uh, Construction uh, Association, or CANS, the Construction Association of Nova Scotia. And it was very enlightening in terms of the demand and the need for housing in Nova Scotia. We got some really great numbers uh, out of Duncan and, and some of the challenges. Um, and I just want to, for those who haven't heard that particular podcast, you know, right now in Nova Scotia, about 5,500 houses are under construction today. He estimated that uh, the need is actually somewhere between, I think, 13 and 15,000. So, you know, that's a big gap. Um, there's probably a similar gap in New Brunswick that we're going to talk about, but the biggest impediment right now is labor. You know, a third of the construction workers in Nova Scotia will retire in the next decade or so. And the big question is not only how do we place those construction workers, but how do we find additional construction workers to meet the demand? So it's a pretty big um, issue. And uh, we thought that because you just finished doing a housing demand by region in New Brunswick uh, study through to 2030 uh, for the New Brunswick Business Council, that we would we would use that opportunity to talk about the, the, the challenges in New Brunswick. So, um, you know, I think that you've got 
current data. This is late breaking news for those who don't know. <laughs> you heard it first here on Insights Pod from the Insights Podcast. So uh, why don't we just jump in um, to your study, if that's good with you? Sure. So the Business Council came to me uh, a few months ago to look at this issue. I was a little reluctant because housing demand is not that simple. It's not a straight correlation between population growth and housing growth. If you look at it historically, it's not a straight correlation. There's lots going on. The average household size in Atlantic Canada has been dropping slowly for 40 years. Um, so there's a lot of underlying issues going on there, but I decided to take on the project because I did think it was very, very important. And I also wanted a challenge. So I had to look at each region. I had to look at historical trends. I had to look at the demographic situation. And then I had to forecast population growth. And we'll talk about this later on, but against three different growth scenarios. So what if we do nothing? What if the population starts to grow in a moderate way? And what if the population really starts to grow significantly in these 15 regions? What kind of housing would be needed? And of course, the report showed, you know, significant, significant housing um, deficits now. Uh, but through 2030, if, if we don't see a significant increase in housing construction, um, you know, there's going to be serious challenges on a, a variety of fronts, which we'll talk about. Yeah, so let's let's just start. But why did the Business Council, uh, you know, want to conduct this study? What, what what was what was their motivation? I mean, you know, the Business Council, really. Yeah, so the Business Council represents the largest or mo many of the largest private sector businesses that are based in New Brunswick that have ownership here, and they have employees all around the province. Many of them have uh, uh, operations in rural New Brunswick, and they're seeing this challenge. So so what the council has been instrumental in setting up what's called the New Brunswick Housing Hub, which is a new initiative. It's been funded by, uh, with $2 million of provincial money uh, to look at housing solutions, innovative housing solutions all across the province with a focus on smaller and rural areas. And so they wanted this report to sort of back up the demand for this, this housing hub. And they turned to your friendly neighborhood economist to do the work. <laughs> Let's start with recent trends. Uh, we've seen record population growth in New Brunswick. Maybe you can talk about that. And, and, and how has the home building industry uh, sort of responded to that population growth? Yeah, I see, Don, you've been tweeting about the record population growth, or I don't know if now that it's called X, I don't know if you're Xing, but you know, you've been certainly posting on social media uh, recently about this growth. And it is unprecedented uh, in terms of population change, but also in terms of the absolute number of, of, of people uh, uh, in New Brunswick, that, that level of growth. So we've never seen that level of growth. So if you look at housing starts in New Brunswick, historically, they tend to sort of go up and down every year, but they run in a band of around 3000 a year. And that rem has remained pretty remarkably consistent over time. Uh, and of course, you know, when this huge wave started to hit us around 2019, it actually started a little bit before that, but it really took off in 2019, 2020 in the pandemic years. Um, and so what has happened as of mid 2023, there are about my, by my estimate, there are about 10,500 fewer houses built just this year and last year compared to expected demand. And I call that uh, uh, an implied deficit. Because, you know, there's, you know, it's not, people are finding solutions. It's not that there's 10,500 households that are out on the street. They're finding other ways to solve their housing needs. And we can talk about that. But at the end of the day, 
if we had expect seen the kind of housing starts that we should have seen in 2022 and 2023, we're about 10,500 down just in the, that year and a half period compared to where we should have been. Moncton and Fredericton are doing better. St. John a little bit better. The rural areas are really, really struggling in the province and smaller communities and in the north as well. Uh, and so that's really where we're at. If we can't build houses, it's going to be a restraint on growth. Uh, and just to get back to your point that I was uh, tweeting about this, and I, I'm still going to use that term uh, um, about the uh, population growth. I, you know, uh, up up until June of this year, over the past five years in Atlantic Canada, we have nearly 190,000 new people living in this region, and and, and which has, has led to the creation of, uh, I believe, 80,000 new jobs across the region. So, you know, we're talking about an economic boom in terms of population growth and job growth. But of course, to keep those people here and to attract more people, you need housing, right? And so that's why we keep talking about this issue, you and I. So maybe maybe you can, maybe you can summarize the main challenges and, block, and blockages that, that exist right now in New Brunswick, because I'm, I'm sure they're similar for the other provinces as well. Yeah, absolutely. The number one issue that you've raised already is the lack of construction workers. So as I as I mentioned before, if you're used to building 3000 homes a year, you have a workforce roughly to meet that demand. And now if you need six, seven or even 10,000 homes or more, you just don't have enough workers. And so that's the reality. So what happens is projects get delayed. If you look at the difference between housing starts and housing completions in the region, that gap is widening. So it's taking longer if, you, if you've noticed apartment buildings or new housing construction that's taking longer to get completed, that's because it's harder to find workers to do the completion. So we're actually seeing a bigger lag between housing starts and housing completions than at any time I've seen in the data. So that's really an issue of construction workforce. And as you pointed out, on top of that, 30 to 40% of them are, are heading toward retirement uh, and we don't have enough in the pipeline. We have seen an increase, for example, in Red Seal trades uh, in, in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick and PEI, but in PEI, they're up 50% in New Brunswick, they're up only 10%. And in, in Nova Scotia over the last decade, they're up about 24%. So we're starting to see some positive movement there, but certainly not enough, uh, based on the demand. And then we don't even have enough developers. So if you look at it, the number of, of entrepreneurs that actually do these construction projects, there's not enough of them. Uh, and so you're actually seeing new people actually stepping in and trying to do their own, build their own construction uh, projects, building apartment complexes and so on, people that have absolutely no experience doing it. So that's another issue. We have supply chain blockages. There's certain construction materials that are harder and harder to get. And then something that people don't realize is that the city, the town, the municipal planners are stretched to the limit. So we're hearing this in municipalities that, that you know, the demands on, on the planners and the folks that do issue building permits is, has never been higher. Uh, and it's really hard for them to keep up. So sometimes it's taking six months to get a permit that it used to only take a month. Interest rates are now causing a, a concern. Developers are having a harder time carrying the construction costs during the construction of projects because of higher interest rates. And of course, buyers are now facing higher interest rates as well. And then again, I just want to reiterate this difference between urban and rural. So, so Moncton and Halifax are, are easier in terms of trying to, to, to address these issues. I'm not saying there's not issues in those centers, uh, but when you look at Cape Breton or, or Summerside or Bathurst, uh, it's even more of a challenge. So 
all of those things combine to make it a, a complicated time. And by the way, I, I do a lot of work in Ontario these days. They're facing the same exact challenges there. So I'm looking forward later in this podcast to talk about solutions. Yes, yeah, so we have to get to solutions. But that's a long list of uh, challenges. And, and every one of them are significant. They're not, you know, it's not that, oh, we have one big one and a whole bunch of small ones. They're all equally, almost equally important uh, in terms of uh, addressing this issue. And that's why the, uh, the housing um, uh, issue is so challenging. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the implications of the housing shortage. What does it mean? So there's a number of things. Number one, it's starting to erode our regional advantage around lower housing costs. Now, as I said before, across Canada, housing costs are going up as well. So it's not just an issue in this region. But if you take the Moncton area in particular, the average cost of a house in this area, just the the benchmark house cost has doubled since the start of the pandemic. And that's unprecedented. So it went from 175, let's say, to 360 or 370 in just about 24 months. And that's, you know, that's again, never been seen in, in history in this part of the country. Now, before that, housing prices were very flat for a very long period of time. So as an economist, you'd like to see housing prices going up moderately every year, along with the rate of inflation, let's say, and not have these big spikes with like we saw in Moncton and to a lesser extent in Halifax. But we saw these housing price uh, spikes across the region The cost of rental has gone up in some cases 60% or higher, uh, depending on the the type of units that's that's needed. So this increase in housing prices is eroding household income. And as you know, Don, average household income here is lower than the country overall. So that means it's it's an additional challenge here. So that's a concern. There's not enough rental units. So most of the people moving into our region right now, Don, are looking for rental. Um, and the, the market is, is responding. If you look at the units being built now in Halifax and Moncton, 70 to 80% are, are, are multi-unit, which is a response to this market demand. Uh, it's a real challenge in rural areas. It's very, very hard to get apartments or multi-unit uh, uh, complexes built in rural areas. But if you're going to attract immigrants, if you're going to attract people that uh, don't want to necessarily buy immediately, you have to have these rental units. And then one of the implications, Don, is, and I, I cover it in detail in the report, is that it, you can actually change housing demand. And so the, I use the example of the city of Brampton in Ontario. So the city of Brampton, Ontario, has the highest average household size in the country. And that's not the average family size. It's the average household size. So that's a, that's a nuance. But what's happening is you actually have more than one family living in the same house in Brampton. And because when you look at the difference between incomes and housing prices, what has happened in that community is that people have had to adapt. And so kids are staying with their parents longer, multi-families are living in the same units. And, and so you have this sort of fundamental shift in housing demand. Uh, and I'm not sure that's a particularly good thing in this region. Now, having said that, there, there is opportunity for more people to rent out their basements and rent out rooms, things like that. There are some opportunities for that, and that's a good thing. But in general, we don't want to end up in a situation like Brampton where, you know, people are cramming two and three families into the same house because they can't afford to pay for housing. So that's a real issue. And then the final one and the one that's most interesting and concerning to us is that it could actually restrain growth. So if you don't have housing, people might just throw up their hands and say, I'm not moving to Halifax. I'm not moving to Truro. I'm not moving to Bathurst because I can't find anything decent in terms of housing. 
and I'll just stay where I am. So I think the real long-term risk uh, is that it will actually curtail this population growth that we've seen in the region, this population growth that we actually need to uh, support our growth objectives. You know, it's interesting. There's a story in the news uh, yesterday, I think, about uh, students attending university having a, a really difficult time finding accommodations um, in, in Halifax. And, uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, we get, a, we get a lot of people coming in from all over the world now to, uh, to study uh, in this region. And uh, if they can't find housing, they're not going to be coming either. So it's not just people moving here permanently. It's, it's people coming here for other purposes that's becoming challenging. And the other thing I wanted to mention, and I thought maybe you might not comment on, is it's not just the, the availability of housing. It's the availability of affordable housing for at least the segment of the market. There's, there's simply not enough being done in this area. And, and frankly, the governments have kind of... Uh, they kind of lost sight of this issue for a long time. They haven't been building, um, you know, um, housing uh, for those who are uh, less fortunate. And, uh, you know, we've got the issue of homelessness on top of it all. So it's like a, it's, it's, it's like a complete, you know, excuse the language, shit show when it comes to housing at the moment. Yeah, we'll have to put a PG rating on this one, Don. But yeah, that's absolutely right. I was in Halifax last weekend. Uh, and I noticed, and of course you see it every day, all the tents all over the city. But when I talk to folks down there, it's not necessarily traditionally homeless people. It's people that just can't afford housing. They work, they, they have jobs, they work in co- coffee shops, they work in retail, but they're living in tents. So, so I think that's a, yeah, you're absolutely right. A, 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 a successful housing market will have a mix of housing to meet based on household incomes. And, and really, quite frankly, Don, that is correlated to size. So smaller homes, tiny homes, apartments, uh, you know, multi-unit apartments, uh, multi-floor apartments. There's lots of ways to push down the average cost of housing. And municipal planners and, and municipalities haven't done a great job of, 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 of really promoting that mix, right? Because there's a variety of reasons for that. One is they actually like the larger units because they get more tax taxes on them. They're also less concerning to neighbors, as you've pointed out on other podcasts, uh, the ones with the one with uh, the, the Construction Association of Nova Scotia. A lot of neighbors don't want these big apartments being built in their neighborhoods, right? They're, they're complaining about those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, you know, we need to have a, a good mix of housing based on the demand, or you're going to see more tents, you're going to see more people living in RVs, you're going to see just a whole mix of things that people do to try and adjust for the, the challenges of, of, of the housing market. Yeah, just a little bit more on this topic. You know, when we were talking to Duncan Williams, he, he mentioned that the, the developer community is interested in building affordable um, housing, uh, but, you know, they need support from um, their municipal uh, landlords, basically, to be able to do it. And, um, you know, municipalities have been not that responsive as yet anywhere that I've seen in terms of dealing with this issue. Uh, as part of your study, you looked at 15 regions uh, around New Brunswick. I didn't know there were that many regions in New Brunswick, by the way, David. That, you know, I thought, I, I kind of think of New Brunswick as being sort of uh, surrounded, uh, you know, uh, by about seven, what I call urban hubs. <laughs> Maybe you should have used those urban hubs as, as the regions. Anyway, that's another, that's for another day. Why, why did you choose the 15 uh, regions? Yeah, so 
it was complicated because as you know, housing is really local. It's municipal. It's not regional. So if you don't, you know, if you have people, if you don't have houses in Sackville or if you don't have houses in Digby, it doesn't matter if you build them in, uh, in Yarmouth, right? I mean, no, I guess some people would commute from Yarmouth to Digby, but in general, housing is, is local. But when you're doing a report like this, there's like 230 different municipalities in New Brunswick, so you couldn't do it for all of them. So we picked 15 regions uh, and that, you know, everything from the Acadian Peninsula to to the uh, Edmonston area. So they, they, they roughly conform to your seven, but then there's a few that don't fit in that in terms of more rural. Uh, and that's how we got to the 15. So they're, they're um, yeah, I mean, there's there's some outliers there, even like Queens County. Uh, but at the end of the day, we come up with 15 and we we did the report on the 15. Now, as you mentioned, kind of in the introduction, it's really hard to figure out housing demand because of the, the local conditions, as you mentioned, and uh, other factors. But uh, talk us through how you came up with the housing demand for those 15 regions. Right. So the biggest issue is, is what's your assumption around population growth? So if the population doesn't grow at all, you're going to need some housing. For, uh, you know, the, again, if you look historically, there's always a need for new housing, whether it's, it's uh, seniors looking for, um, you know, uh, seniors housing, or if little Johnny or little Janie, you know, leave their parents home and they, they're staying in the region, they're still, in many cases, looking for their own place to live. And that has, by the way, that's the main reason why we've seen this decline in the average household size for 40 years is that little Johnny and little Janie you know, they get to be 18 or 19 and they decide to move out. And so they need their own house. So that, that means you need two houses instead of just the one. Um, so, but having said that, so we had to look at three growth scenarios. So I basically looked at a slow growth scenario, moderate growth scenario, and a fast growth scenario for each of the 15 regions. And they were slightly different in each of the 15 regions. People can download the report uh, at the uh, at the New Brunswick Business Council website, uh, or, or they can drop me an email and I can send them a copy. But basically what we were trying to do is say, look, you know, this stuff needs to be aspirational. As you and I have talked about this many times before, you know, you can get into a, 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 a decline mindset and you can say, well, we're just going to decline. So let's close the schools. Let's consolidate the hospitals. Let's reduce our services. And then that is a downward spiral. And you start to sort of feed on yourself. So what we said is, look, let's be aspirational. Let's say in the Acadian Peninsula, you know, right now on the trajectory they're on, uh, they're not going to have enough workers to meet workforce demand. You know, they're already struggling up there. And by 2030, it's going to be a, just an amazingly complex problem. You're not even going to be able to have enough workers for nursing homes. So let's assume they can grow either slow or moderate or fast growth. Fast growth would mean they would have enough workers to meet uh, workforce demand, but also meet growth demand. Uh, moderate growth would mean enough to meet replacement demand, but probably not growth demand. And slow growth would mean you're going to shrink your workforce over that uh, 2030 timeframe. So we did that for all of the 15. Uh, and again, tying that to workforce uh, demand to come up with these three housing scenarios. And because the baseline is different in all, some of them have to have significant um, uh, more increases in housing uh, uh construction every year than others. And that's, I think, the one of the, again, one of the big challenges is that Moncton now has positive momentum. Fredericton has very positive momentum. Some of the areas have much, much more work to do. Shediac has positive momentum. Shediac is just booming right now. Uh, but there's a lot of regions that are, that are really struggling. 
<laughs> so, you know, Dave, if I was a developer, this would be gold for me, you know, because it would give me uh, an opportunity to look at the, op the, the, you know, what is possible in the markets that I'm, I'm serving. And uh, so I just want to make a note to any developer out there that this, you should get a look at this study because it will be very helpful in terms of your own strategic planning and, uh, you know, and, and it might actually, uh, uh, it might actually um, attract other people who are interested in, in developing in communities as well. But I just wanted to make a point, one point uh, for people uh, about the region. So if you take a, a look at, you know, the Acadia Peninsula, for instance, it's been in decline for a long time. And, you know, and, and so uh, for them, to just to even the stays even has been a challenge. And, and, and this is a problem that is right across the, uh, the whole region and, and some, not all, but some rural communities. And, it, and so there's a bigger issue at stake here. It, it's, it's a question of economic, economic sustainability. And um, uh, what we're seeing is that uh, some uh, rural communities are doing way better than others when it comes to, you know, developing their own local economic, economic, uh, environment, right? Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing a lot of variants around the region. Some are doing much better than others. As I've said earlier in this podcast, I do a lot of work in Ontario, and it's the same situation there. You've got a lot of really, really uh, beautiful, smaller rural areas that are thriving, attracting population, actually attracting industry. Um, and then you've got many that are that are struggling. So it's the same issue. You need to have municipal leadership you obviously need to have provincial and even federal support because quite frankly, that's where a lot of the money is. Municipalities get the smallest share of the money uh, and they also have the smallest share of, of wiggle room in terms of policy development too, right? Because they're, they're the, the junior layer of government. They're actually not, I learned this a few years ago, municipal governments aren't actually governments. They're, they're creatures of the province. They can't write laws, they can only write bylaws. So they're fully creatures of the provincial government. And so we really need a strong provincial strategy, but at the, it really happens. It's gonna, if it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen at the municipal level, at the Digby's, the Yarmouth's, the Summersides, you know, the Cornerbrooks, the Bathurst, that's where the leadership has to come from the local community. Because ultimately that we're in a situation now where we can't survive another 10 or 15 years. Now, I'm not saying these communities are gonna completely collapse but it is gonna be very complicated. And it's not like if you go back 10 years or you go back 20 years, that because of the share of the workforce over the age of 55, the next 10 years are gonna be very, very problematic for these areas if they can't at least get some level of population growth. Uh, we talked about it before, and I think both of us advocated for this, that you know every community, no matter their size, needs to have a population strategy. You know, without a population strategy, you have really no hope of dealing with this issue. So you actually have to work it. And uh, the only way to work it is by figuring out where the opportunities are. I mean, you mentioned, as an example, long-term care facilities. Well, there, there's growing uh, sort of uh, evidence that there's an opportunity to recruit people from other countries to work in those facilities. And so if you're in the Acadia Peninsula and you're, you, you're worried about care workers, you know, you need to not look necessarily in Canada. You have to look elsewhere and develop uh, you know, the communities uh, from um, other countries to, to fill those positions. And, and a, lot of, a lot of smaller communities aren't thinking like that right now. You know, they, they just can't seem to 
wrap their head around uh, what they need to do. Yeah, because it's not traditionally in their in their responsibilities, right? So they they have historically been curb and gutter issues, trying to sort of make their communities clean and safe and 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 sort of nice places to live. But now we're saying you got to look at a lot of other issues, right? You've got to look at housing. You've got to look at your economic structure. You've got to have employment lands. There's lots of things that you need in communities. And in New Brunswick specifically, the government has now allowed municipalities more flexibility around incentives in terms of offering free land or tax breaks. You know, there's some curbs on that. But at the end of the day, there's even more tools that they have now to be able to attract uh, both industry and population. And I just want to remind our listeners that in, when we did the podcast with Jim Irving, you know, uh, his company is actually involved in providing housing, creating housing, you know, so uh, it's not just the municipalities can play a role here. I mean, you know, large employers like JDI or others, you know, they, they can have their own housing strategy to support their own workers. And there may be a growing uh, evidence of that across the region, I think. I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, we do is one of the options, one of the solutions is to get more employer based housing solutions. But, you know, we've had these conversations, Don. I mean, at the end of the day, there's only a few employers that have the heft to be able to do that, to be able to build and own and manage their own housing or control their own housing. And again, if you're thinking about companies that aren't actually based here, they're just going to throw up their hands and say, why would I do that? I'm just going to move my investment somewhere where I don't have this hassle. Now, again, they're facing this challenge in many places across the country, but it's a real risk, right? If you, if you say, I mean, Irving's, they're not going anywhere. They have sawmills all around the province. They have forestry operations all around the province. They need to solve their problems and they're going to jump in, as you said, and they are jumping in in places like Chipman, they're actually building houses and, 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 you know, and doing that work. They're offering at reasonable rents to their workers. They're not free, uh, but they're trying again, in terms of affordability, they're saying what, what level of rent makes sense on these houses relative to the, the wages of our employer employees, uh, and, and trying to build housing that's uh, acceptable to that. And, and, and so, and they're having some success, but again, the large employers can do that. I, I think it's much more difficult for smaller employers and for employers that can move, that don't have to be in New Brunswick or Nova Scotia or PEI. If they can't find workers, they're not going to start building houses. They're just going to say, I'm going to move my investment elsewhere. Yeah, one of the benefits of doing this podcast is there's various ideas that we've we've learned uh, over the last couple of years. I, mean, I remember when John Bragg uh, it was on the podcast. He talked about what he did for his workers. He they, he actually uh, provided uh, mortgage money <laughs> at the competitive rates for his uh, workers to buy their own homes. And uh, again, um, there's a lot of a uh, lot of interesting ideas out there for not, and they're a big organization too. Uh, not not nearly as big as JDI, but you know, um, big enough to be able to do that sort of thing. And you know, so they had I forget four hundred workers in uh, Colchester County um, in, in very rural Nova Scotia. And um, uh, so, you know, you don't have to be that big to help your employees. But the, the thing there, which is very interesting, is they understand that home ownership is a very important uh, aspect of retention. If you're renting, 
you know, it's much more, you know, it's much, you're potentially much more mobile. And so even the, the JDI uh, housing, they're renting for a few years, but then they're, they're converting that to mortgages. So they're allowing, you know, they're hoping their employees stay on, they buy the houses, they stay in the communities permanently. And so I think that's right. I think, I think offering that mortgage opportunities or doing other things to encourage home ownership, particularly in rural Atlantic Canada is a good solution. But again, you know, I, I don't know how that extends into smaller companies. I mean, we talked to uh, uh, Blair Hislip from uh, uh, Mrs. Uh, uh, Dunster's, and you know, he, he's having, as you as you remember, he's having housing issues in his part of the province, and it's he's you know he's not a small firm, but he certainly doesn't have the heft of some of these larger firms in the region. Yeah. So let's talk about the areas around New Brunswick that uh, you consider having that have the most challenging house, housing environment right now. What are the ones that that you need to worry about? Right. So so Moncton's not too bad, right? So we we had a lot of debates back and forth about the Moncton region, but it it's going to need to see an increase in housing starts, but but you know not to the level of some of the other jurisdictions. Fredericton is pretty good too. St. John's going to need to significantly see uh, double or even more. The housing starts just in the next couple of years. You know, Bathurst, uh, you know, almost triple the housing starts, um, even for just the moderate growth scenario. I'm just looking at the moderate growth scenarios now, Don. Uh, you know, Shediac uh, is going to need to increase even though it's been do, doing quite well. But if it's going to continue on this growth path that it's been on, uh, it's going to need to see more houses. Uh, as we talked about, the Acadian Peninsula probably is one of the areas that needs the most increase. They're going to need to triple housing starts or more uh, in the short term. Uh, and again, that's a real issue. I talked to somebody from the Acadian Peninsula not that long ago, and they're struggling to finish you know, uh, uh, new nursing homes and things like that up in that area because there's just not enough construction labor. And now you know David Campbell comes along and says, you're going to have to triple your housing starts. So it's a real issue in the peninsula. Kent County is going to need a lot more. Uh, if you look at other areas, even Charlotte County is going to have to double down around the St. Stephen area and, and, uh, and, and that part of the province. And, uh, you know, even Sussex, the Sussex region where, where Dunster, Mrs. Dunster Donuts is located, you know, they're going to have to increase more than double, almost triple uh, their housing starts as well, if they're going to meet demand. So as you said before, this should hopefully help developers figure this out. But I hope the municipalities are paying attention and looking at reports like this and other reports, having their own reports commissioned. That's fine. I mean, I'm not saying this is the end all be all. Uh, but as you said earlier, they need to have a population strategy and they need to have a housing strategy. So if, if I was in Sussex right now, I'd take this report. And I'd try to find developers and say, hey, we need 163 houses next year. Housing starts. Right. You know, where uh, are we going to get them? One of the things I don't think you mentioned, but, you know, we're talking about 2030, just to put it in perspective. That is seven years from now. It's not, not, not a decade. And, and it, based on your various levels of growth, it, it, tell us how many houses are needed in seven years. Let's put it in perspective. What, what are yeah. the numbers? Yeah, so so we're going to need um, twenty nine thousand new houses between now and twenty thirty, and that doesn't account for any of the lost. You know, not it doesn't make up for the lost demand from the houses that haven't been built over the last couple of years. So twenty nine thousand new houses between now and uh, between twenty twenty three and twenty twenty thirty. I think that's the total number, if I if I remember based on the moderate growth scenario. 
Uh, that that's not the number that you provided with me earlier, David. Just what did I give you? Yeah, what did I give you? 89. Oh, 89,000. No, no, that's that's uh, that population growth. Yeah, that's, that's population that's, growth. That's population. That's, that's growth. population yeah, housing growth is 29,000 in the moderate <laughs> growth scenario. Yeah. Yeah, and just to get back to population growth, I think that the slow growth uh, scenario that you had said in seven years, there would be 43,000 more people living in, in New Brunswick. At moderate levels, it would be 89,000. And at the fast pace, yeah. uh, which is uh, which is currently being achieved, I think, at, uh, currently is 128,000, right, by 2030? Right. Those, those right. are big numbers. Those are big numbers. So in the fast growth scenario, we're going to be needing uh, uh, eight thousand closer to 8500 houses built per year between 2024 and 2030 and so that i can't i can't do math in my head here but that's that's uh (laughs) what is that what what is wrong with economists they're not very good at math oh as i get older as i get older but that's like sixty thousand houses so if we want to if we want to hit the no it's true but that i just want to make that point for the listener if we want to hit the fast growth scenario and by the way the fast growth scenario is, is the scenario you need to meet workforce demand and meet growth demand. And we're already seeing it in Moncton and Fredericton. So it's not like it's not possible. If we want to meet that demand, we're going to need 60,000 homes. Uh, and we're going to need, I mean, again, remember I was saying earlier, we build around 3,000 a year. Now we're going right. to need 8,500 a year. Uh, so, so, and I think these numbers are conservative, but nevertheless, that's a, that's, you know, so, if you think about it, so what are we going to do? Are we going to increase the construction workforce by two and a half times to meet that demand? So hey. if there's a one-to-one correlation between the construction, the, the workforce needed to build these houses, we're going to have to more than double the size of our construction workforce, even as 30 to 40% of them are retirement. So, so, so it's even hard to get your head around what that means in terms of the scope of, uh, of the challenge. Well, I mean, this is a real wake-up call for everybody in Atlantic Canada, because <clears throat> the issues are the same everywhere. Um, the report also looked at the increased demand for se- seniors ha- housing, obviously, you know, baby boomers like me, um, going to look for a place to hang out at some point, I guess. Um, how does this play into the housing demand profile? Yeah, so I, I just want to sort of pick up on what you just said. When we talk about seniors housing here, we're not talking about nursing homes. It's partially nursing homes, but it's also just accommodations for older people that want independence. So it's this rise of like the Shanex buildings and, and other types of, of, of housing where you've got, you know, full autonomy, but you've got, you know, food service in the building and so on. Um, so that type of housing, there's been a study done uh, by CMHC, uh, and they're projecting that it's going to rise. The demand for senior user, u- units is going to rise by over 50% in j- just between now and 2030. So that's a significant growth. That's thousands of more units uh, to meet the demand for seniors housing. Now, the good news there is that as seniors transition into these, these facilities, they hopefully leave a house back in the community that can be used by uh, somebody moving into the community. So there's actually some positive trends to, to, you know, to, to seniors moving into these new facilities and then selling their houses to people trying to move into the communities. But it is going to put a, a significant demand, as I mentioned earlier in the Acadian Peninsula, the work being done on these uh, seniors facilities is actually me- means there's no labor left 
to do other types of housing. So it's a, it, it can be a real challenge. <clears throat> and there's another part of uh, aging, of course, and that is downsizing. As your as your family leaves your home, you have these big bigger homes that you no longer need. Um, you know, I'm a good example of. I had a four bedroom house at one time, um, and uh, you know we lived in that house really a long time, just the two of us. And uh, because our kids uh, live in Halifax now, they're not coming to visit us. They don't. We don't need the extra bedrooms. You know, there's a lot of people going through that. So yeah. uh, we, we, we ended up downsizing. So there's kind of a, a, a process, right? There's, I don't need this much space. I need a smaller place. And then I, I, I don't need this smaller place. I need a place with services. And then, you know, then, you know, I, I need more help. And, and that, that's long, long-term care. So there's a process that aging uh, takes you through. Yeah, and it's beneficial too, Don, because I just wanted to point out that that when you look at the housing market, I said earlier that most newcomers moving in want to rent first, but within right. three to four years, they want to buy. If they decide to put down roots in the community, like Halifax or Truro or Moncton or wherever, they do right. want to buy. So this this empty nesting that you're talking about or, or downsizing of, of, of older residents is actually a very health, helpful because it's putting houses on the market that these folks can then, you know, after they've rented for two or three years, they can then uh, look at purchasing in the community. Okay, so <clears throat> we, we now have firmly established that we have a crisis in housing. That, not that everybody didn't already know that, but I guess the, the question is, what do we need to do to ensure we have enough housing? You know, you're, you know how the answer is, let's hear them. <laughs> well, it's the, this is not going to be anything new for people, but basically we need to make it a top priority. And of course, the New Brunswick government has, has you know, in the last, just the last few weeks, announced a lot of new money, announced new policies, announced the housing hub. So they're starting to take it very, very seriously. I was in Ontario early this week. Uh, the, the, the government there is pushing very, very hard. It's actually pushing on the municipalities to build more housing and providing more incentives to do so, but also being more demanding on the municipalities to push more housing. So this, you just need to make it a top priority of, of municipal and provincial uh, uh, and to a lesser extent, but w where they play a role, the federal government. And then we need to encourage new home construction, particularly rental units uh, and increasingly in the rural areas. So we need to see apartment complexes and multi-unit facilities going up all over New Brunswick, all over the region. The, all levels of government have a role to play uh, particularly as we, when we look at affordable housing and other types of housing solutions, we need to su substantially uh, increase the construction workforce, as we've been talking about throughout the throughout the podcast today. Maybe double it, maybe triple it. You know, and I and I people say that that's impossible, right? I've, I talked to somebody just not that long ago that told me you just can't you just can't double a workforce. Well, how do you think they built uh, the the Olympic the, the the World Cup infrastructure in Qatar? in two years they built an entire they built hotels they built all these facilities all these stadiums everything they built it in two years in a tiny country with no uh with no uh local construction workforce well they brought all the workers in uh, and so this massive workforce of hundreds of thousands of construction workers were imported from other parts of the world and so it, it, and i think you alluded to this earlier you know if we have to we should bring in international construction workers Put them on a short course, train them in how we do business here. But at the end of the day, 
you know, drywall and, 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 and nailing, uh, you know, nailing uh, two by fours to the, to the foundation. These things are pretty consistent around the world, you know, dr- uh, laying foundations and so on. So I think increasingly uh, international workers are going to be a part of that solution. And by the way, if you look at the IRCC permanent resident admissions data, uh, places like Ontario are bringing in a ton of construction workers and tr- construction trades. We're doing a lot less here, uh, but the numbers even are starting to tick up in our region. But that's, I think, a key part of the solution moving forward is to bring in uh, international workers to work in our housing sector. There's one other factor that I want to add, and that's attitude. You know, for a long time, we've had no growth to speak of or any significant growth. <laughs> And now we're building cities with, you know, with uh, taller buildings. People are pushing back about that. They don't want to. They don't want to lose what we had. And so there's a segment of the population who are against any form of construction in their neighborhood. You know, uh, Halifax is a good example. Where you know the main part of the city is on a peninsula. There's only a certain uh, amount of land available. <clears throat> the best. most economic way of building is going up. We're actually, right now, we have a a building being built on the arm that is 30 stories, David. Imagine, 30 stories. And it sticks out like a sore thumb at one one point. At the other point, you know, it's going to be a magnificent place to live for people living there. And, and, And in that particular stretch where it's being built, it's actually going to probably uh, generate other high-rise uh, um, buildings around it, and it, it 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 it's not interfering with neighborhoods so much because it's it's kind of on a main high road system. So you know we're going to have to pick our spots, and we're going to have to go higher, and people are going to have to get used to it if they live in cities because that's what happens in cities, right? That's right. And they're actually, believe it or not, Don, they're proposing a 30-story apartment complex. It got preliminary approval from the government here in uh, Moncton. What? Uh, and again, yeah, can you believe it? Right downtown. Now, it's in an area, as you say, it's in, a, it's in an area of the, of the downtown where it's not going to sort of block a lot of housing because people are kind of upset about those things. But yeah, 30 stories. It's going to be uh, right down uh, uh, near the border with Dieppe. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's caused quite a stir here because of course the highest building, I think right now, um, it's currently construction is about maybe 15 stories, 14 stories, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And we're living in a new era. You have a section in your report on the potential role that manufactured housing could play. Is is this a, a serious option? So it should be a serious option because manufactured housing is... It, it, you know, it has come a long way from what people might think from 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, a lot of the houses you drive by in, in, in rural areas and small communities, the beautiful small bungalows are, are built in factories and, and, and assembled on site. There's a lot of advancements. You and I, we did a podcast on, on the manufactured uh, housing sector with, uh, with I forget, uh, I forget the folks there at UNB uh, not that long ago. Uh, but at the end of the day, New Brunswick has a large sector it has three or four major manufacturers here but the problem is they already have a 12 to 14 month backlog and many of the houses they're they've been contracted to build are for exports and when i talk to them they have huge workforce issues 
you know, one, one company I talked to had about a, a deficit of about, they could hire about 70 new workers. So this is, I mean, this whole workforce issue just per, per, pervades everything we talk about, Don. But at the end of the day, what I was saying to them is just they need to go to government and say, let's solve this. Let's solve this workforce issue. But at the end of the day, um, it's a solution, but we would have to have significant increase in capacity. We'd have to probably build new uh, manufacturing facilities, probably scattered two or three more around the province. And government could encourage that, right? I mean, I don't want the government to get into actually building houses. But if you have good private sector companies, there must be ways right. to incentivize this housing to be built and also help them solve their uh, their workforce challenges. Are there any other interesting ideas on how uh, we could address our housing deficit that you've come across? Yeah, so we touch on that briefly in the report. There's certainly um, there's certainly some other options here. We can encourage new models of home ownership, and and we talked earlier about seniors retiring. Uh, one of the things we're actually seeing in Moncton, and we could see it, and you know, probably seeing it in Halifax as well, is you're seeing one developer buying up a bunch of houses and turning them into rental units. Now you want to make sure it's they're not slum lords, right? They're not creating a a, a a bad situation, but at the end of the day that could be a solution because again, so many of the people moving in want to rent and so many people historically in this region have wanted to buy, right? There's been very little outside of say Halifax, Moncton and the big cities, there's been very little uh, 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 rental units built. And now we're seeing more and more of that. And in New Brunswick in particular, and I actually talk about it in the report, there's very few condos uh, built, right? Where you actually, it's an apartment or a multi-unit facility that you actually own and you pay monthly condo fees. There's very, very little of that in, in, a, in, a, in New Brunswick. And I'm not sure why there's a lot more actually in Nova Scotia. Uh, just on the condo uh, issue, there are very few now being built in, in, in Halifax. <clears throat> I think developers have re realized that it's better to build and own than to build and sell. They, they, they make more money long term <clears throat> so i think the uh, future of condos is is up in, uh, in, in it's a bit of a question right now <clears throat> one other idea that will be interesting we have an upcoming podcast on mass timber for those who never heard of that um, it's a it's a, a, a replacement for concrete and steel in construction there's a firm called the Mass Timber Company that is currently working on building a manufacturing facility um, in uh, Nova Scotia. Um, it's a big idea. Uh, I think they're going to spend $140 million on this facility. And <clears throat> they're, what, it's being used elsewhere in the world. And they're saying that it has some advantages. Uh, to traditional means of construction. The biggest one being uh, that it uh, very much more efficient. It could save 30% in the building of a building, which uh, time is money, obviously. <clears throat> and it could also uh, be uh, constructed off-site, which has some advantages as well. So that's upcoming in the next couple of weeks, David, and that's another idea. Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing seven, eight, nine-story buildings now built with wood frames around the world in places like Norway uh, and other parts of North America. I don't, I don't even know if our building codes allow that here. I'm not 100% sure. Maybe we can talk to Mass Timber about that. But at the end of the day, we have lots of wood, and using it in these ways, I think, is, is important to look at for sure. Yeah, so I guess, a, you know, a final hap a question, and it's the obvious one, but what happens if we can't build enough housing in the coming years? 
so the biggest problem because it affects us all is that housing prices will continue to rise well above the race, rate of inflation so that's the real risk and then you 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 get a pushback from the public they start and we're seeing this already across the country they start to blame immigrants they start to blame newcomers uh, people moving in for pushing up housing prices and you just create a, a bad sort of um a bad or a, or or an, a bad stink around growth, and so you and I have talked about this many times. If you want to grow your community, you have to have community buy-in, because otherwise, right. people will just push back and they'll elect politicians that are anti-growth. So we right. need to have public buy-in. So I think that's a real risk. Um, so I think it'll curtail could curtail population growth, as we talked about earlier. And then, you know, as I t- touched on earlier, it could also change housing demand in the long run. And I think long that run, would I be think a, that would be a a mistake because at the end of the day we don't want to we don't want a brampton solution we want a solution that still allows people to own their homes still allows people to have a nice home uh with a decent size uh but at a decent price and that should be the the overwhelming public policy objective here is is that housing prices should not exceed 25 percent uh, of your total uh, household income that's uh, shelter costs in total and that's sort of a standard that we look at across the country. And, you know, in most of Atlantic Canada, we've been well below that 25% threshold for many, many years. And now we're starting to threaten that. Uh, many, many houses are now, many households are now pushing above 25%, some of them into 30 or more. Uh, and that I think would be a, a long term would be a problem if we don't, uh, if we aren't, uh, if we can't solve this issue. Well, I just have to say that. <clears throat> You know, this is a really, I, I, can, I would consider this a really important uh, study and a model for the other Atlantic provinces, David, that I'm going to promote your work because I think every each of the provinces should do exactly the same kind of study. It would be very helpful to the building construction industry and uh, would provide a roadmap uh, about what the opportunity is for those in the development community. And, and frankly, does a lot of work for them uh, that, uh, that would help their, uh, their businesses. And uh, that's why we wanted to do this podcast on this uh, very interesting study. Um, it's been, in my opinion, it's really obviously well done. And uh, I really like the three scenarios because, you know, it's hard to, hard to know what's going to happen. But to be ready for each one. And uh, again, that's a good roadmap. And uh, uh, congratulations on doing this great work. Well, I'm glad you had me on, Don. I appreciate it. Anytime, David. And uh, thanks for being with us. You've been listening to the Insights Podcast from the Acadia Broadcasting Corporation. Follow the show and listen to past episodes on your favorite podcast platform, like Apple or Spotify. If you've enjoyed the show, why not recommend it to a friend? Don and David will be back next week with another deep dive into some key issues in Atlantic Canada.